Okay, uh, last week uh, th- we had a theme, and the theme is carrying over to this week. Um, last week we, we noted a couple of points from Acts chapter 3, and one point is that God is the one who opens doors for us, okay? Um, in the Christian life, you can open your own doors if you want to. You know, you can create your own ministry. You can decide what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, where you're going to do it, all the methodology. You know, I, I hope you don't do that too long because that gets old pretty quick. But God is the one biblically who opens doors for his people. He opens doors, and we are to step through those doors and make him known in a variety of different ways with our lives, our words, actions. Um, and and the, the second point of last week is that it really is the goal of the church, uh, this new spirit-filled community that God's created, to really keep our eyes open to see what God is doing and keep our ears open to what he would say through us. Um, last Sunday, Peter and John did that. You know, I just think that the action is great, you know. Peter and John are going to the temple. That's what they're doing that day. Suddenly, God opens a door on the side here, and a, a, a crippled beggar, by the time they are done, uh, God presents him to them. They step into this ministry moment. Uh, you know, moments later, this man is healed. They are preaching to a crowd of thousands we will discover in just a few minutes. And all because they let God open the door, they had their eyes wide open, they let God speak to them, and boom, there you go. Now, last week is one of those doors that we all like, okay? Um, And I'll give you a visual. It's kind of like my my favorite door, I think, is the Hobbit door from Lord of the Rings. You know, that pretty little round door with all the lush green. I mean, this is a Hobbit door, especially for my size. I really like the Hobbit doors. But, you know, it's it's just, this is the kind of door in Acts chapter 3 everybody wants to step through, you know? I mean, everything about it is encouraging. It's adventure. It's exciting. All all the action in Acts chapter 3 is just positive. The results, I mean, oh, it's just, it's amazing. So, this is the kind of door you want to go through. And Peter and John step through this door, and it's just a joy fest. Well, there are other kinds of doors that God opens up for us, and they don't look and feel like hobbit doors. You know, there are some doors that the Lord will open, and from the very beginning, it looks like the door is hanging off the hinges. You know, it creaks as it opens, and you know, what's waiting on the other side of the door is not always that positive in the beginning. That's Acts chapter 4. Last week, Peter and John, you know, they skipped through the door. This week, it's kind of like they are dragged through the door. Last week, everybody's glad to see you. Thank you. Tell us about Jesus. This week is a crowd that they are seeking to discredit Jesus. They're seeking to wipe out the church. They want this movement called the church and Christianity. They want this thing over. And that's the door. So last week, we left Peter and John. And Peter is right in the middle of his sermon. Everything is going super well. So let's pick up the action in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus Christ there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. So, you just, 
you feel the difference here between the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. End of chapter three, e- 3, everything is great, preaching away, but suddenly right in the middle of the sermon, okay, and if you want to visualize this, you can. Nobody has to reenact this though, that'd be fine, but just visualize it in your, in your mind's eye. Suddenly they are interrupted, and they are interrupted by angry temple leaders. And I'll tell you this, the religious can make a mob squad like nobody else can. This, from the beginning, is a scary moment. They're confronted by temple guards. And y'all, I'm not against guards. Guards are great when they're guarding you. But the other side of the guard, you know, when they're coming after you, it's scary. So they're, they're confronted by temple guards, um, uh, the priests, and the Sadducees. And just the way Luke kind of squeezes the Sadducees at the end of this kind of lets you know the Sadducees are the ones behind this. It's also not much of a guess because the Sadducees together with the Pharisees are behind a whole lot of the negative stuff that happens in the Gospels and early on in the church. So the Sadducees come and I, I don't know what you know about Sadducees. But uh, not, not a real good group. Um, number one, the Sadducees were in league with Rome. Um, it was kind of a, hey, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. If you guys give us religious freedom, we'll kind of help you, you know, be bullies from time to time, Rome. So the Sadducees have kind of sold out. There's some real spiritual compromise. When it comes to Jesus, though, it gets really rough with the Sadducees because they believe that the, mess- the Messianic age, okay, so that's the, the, the Jesus coming, right? They believe the Messianic age had begun in the Maccabean period, like 200 years ago. So for the Sadducees, they aren't looking for the Messiah. They believe that, you know, we are well past that time. Jesus Christ, oh, no, 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 no. They are dead set against this. And then, you know, on, on top of that, the Sadducees don't believe in resurrection, okay? And I know, Jane, I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it. See, that's where their name comes from, because when you don't believe in a risen Lord, it makes you sad, you see. That... <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, Comedy Central will not be calling anytime soon. That, that was a joke I heard like in second grade, so I had to repeat it. But so... so Honestly, though, this, this is a miserable group of people. They show up, they stop the message, they drag Peter and John off, and they throw them in jail. And the reason they put them in jail is because it's kind of late in the day, so they can't get a court together, you know, all the court officials. and everything. They can't quite assemble a court, so they're like, well, let them sit in jail for the night. And so for us reading this, it's like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. You know, just two chapters ago, the Holy Spirit falls and people are coming to Christ and now the leaders are in jail. But Luke breaks the tension for anyone who's reading closely, okay? This is, you know, you're not supposed to do this, but Luke actually gives you the end of the story before you even read on in chapter four. And Luke goes ahead and tells us, hey, look, this just happened. Yes, this is scary. Ooh, you know, we all read this and we kind of quake in our boots, but it's already failed. This whole thing has already failed. Um, God cannot be stopped. The gospel isn't going anywhere. The, The church is here to stay. And we know from four because it says, now many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting men and women. So, so get that. They're being hauled off to jail. Bum, 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 right? That's what they think they're doing. But in the meantime, you've got the church has grown now up to 5,000 men in that moment. 
not including women and children. You put them in the mix. This church, two chapters ago, three chapters ago, is 120 people, right? Chapter two is 3,000. Here we are at the end of three, the beginning of four. This thing is well over 10,000. So, so it's kind of like, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the police academy movies, you know, where, where you know, the, the fireworks store is blowing up, you know, and the police guy's like, there's nothing to see here, folks. You know, fireworks are going off all over the place. And, but it's like they're, they're marching these guys off to jail. This is the end of this movement and people are just coming to Christ. There's rejoicing. I mean, it's like the church is just blowing up behind them in the background. In other words, what we have is a holy barn fire that is not about to be put out by these guys. And Luke wants us to know that before we go any further. Is anybody encouraged? Yes, me too. Even the wooer over there, I'm encouraged with you. So, okay. Now, here's the thing though. If you know anything about New Testament religious leaders, they are not going to let a little thing like a crippled man, a man who's been crippled for 40 years who suddenly can walk, they're not going to let that cool their jets, right? Um, They're not going to let a little thing like the church just exploding behind them stop what, what they're doing here. So what they do is from the beginning, they look right past this miracle and right past this expanding, exploding church. They look right past that and they go ahead and they continue to persecute Peter and John. Because see, good sense would say, you know what, it's over before it starts, guys. Knock it off. They go ahead and proceed. And so the next morning, they assemble their kangaroo court, right? Uh, Acts chapter 4, 5 through 7. Um, th- this whole thing is a sham, but we need to understand this is a scary sham, right? This ain't a sham wow. I mean, this is like a sham. <laughs> this is scary because they assemble the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin are kind of like the, 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 the spiritual supreme court in those days, it's made up of 71 members, and you have the, the rulers of the Sanhedrin, and uh, these are members of high priestly families, okay? So you've got some real power players in this room from the beginning. I mean, these, are, these guys are at the top of the food chain. Then you have elders, and these are guys, the, uh, from, from, uh, they're, they're like chiefs. Uh, they're for elders from the chief family. So these are your big money people. And then finally, you've got teachers of the law. Now, we hear teachers of the law and we go, well, okay, I mean, so they taught scripture. Well, they did teach scripture, right? But these were experts in Torah. And whenever there was a religious proceeding, these guys showed up and they could argue you up a tree, down a tree, in a rabbit hole. You could be so sure you knew where you were spiritually. These guys get done with you, you just feel like a wrung out dish rag. In other words, this court is stacked against Peter and John. This is, a fleshly point of view, this is seriously a scary moment. And if that weren't enough to ruin Peter and John's day, Luke tells us that there are two other legal players here, and these boys are big hitters, and their names are Annas and Caiaphas. Have we ever heard these names before? At a similar trial, the trial of Jesus Christ, these two were big players. And you remember how that one ended, right? Jesus Christ is arrested, he's tried, and he's crucified. What do you think these guys are up to here? Well, hold on just a second, all right? 
they ask a question, all right? They take Peter and John, they place them in the middle of this court. And just so you know, the Sanhedrin, they sat in a semicircle, right? So Peter and John are placed right in the middle of this semicircle. Everywhere they look, all they see are these scowling faces. And then the Sanhedrin asks them a question. And the question is, by what power, or some of your Bibles say, by whose authority, some of your Bibles, in whose name have you done this? Have we ever heard that question before? We heard the very same question at the trial of Jesus when he's before this religious court. You understand? Peter and John's knees ought to be rattling. They ought to be shaking. You ought to be able to hear them like like six miles away. The same question they asked Jesus. These guys are setting us up. They're going to try to execute us on the spot. That's exactly what they're up to in this passage. This is a terrifying moment. Let me stop and say one other thing. Let's be sure we understand what the word this means, okay? Because they, they ask... In whose name or by whose authority or by whose power have you done this? And this is an easy one, so don't don't fear. What this are they talking about? They're talking about the healing, okay? So understand how crazy this whole thing is. These guys, again, are looking past what God has just done. This council is not shell-shocked that this cripple man has just been healed. You know, their jaws instead of, well, let's argue theology. Well, let me talk to you guys. Now, what in the world were you thinking? Well, who's behind this? I mean, their jaws ought to just be like glued to the ground. The man is walking around. He's healed. They, They ought to just be completely undone. And it just goes to show you how blind religion can make you. These guys are completely, not only do they miss the Messiah when the Messiah comes, but now they are missing God continuing to work through his people. This is a miracle. But here we have Peter and John and the heat. Okay, this is like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of heat that they're in, right? This is intense pressure that they're under. Nine out of ten of us, we'd be like, oh, yeah, I can't even think. I, you know, I just, oh, what's my name? I have no idea who I am. We'd be undone. So what happens? Well, verses 8 through 12, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all of Israel, all the people of Israel, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one in Scripture where it says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So, what happens next? Well, Peter gets all full of the Holy Spirit again, right? And by the way, we're talking Pentecost filled with the Holy Spirit. And and sometimes people will say, well, now wait a minute. Peter doesn't need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. It's only chapter 4. He was filled in chapter 2. Surely there's enough Holy Spirit left over from chapter 2 to carry on in chapter 4. But no, 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 no. Listen, here's the idea. This is a different situation. This is a very fresh assignment. So Luke is telling us, look, in this moment, God just gave him another kiss of the Spirit. He gave him a fresh touch. He gave him a fresh filling. Why? Because this assignment is gigantic. 
So Peter gets his fresh touch, his fresh feeling, and it, you know, it's, it's like the Kentucky Derby. You know, boom, the gun goes off, and this brother just starts running. And everything Peter does from the moment he is filled is just like Jesus, okay? The evidence of the Holy Spirit is so on this guy, it's astounding. Like, first of all, uh, his reply. Look at what Peter does. You know, they ask Peter a direct question. By whose authority did you do this? What does Peter do? Does he answer them? No. Peter pulls a Jesus. Well, uh, 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 are, we, are we being interrogated? For, for doing a good deed for a crippled man? This is what Jesus always did in the Gospels. You know, the religious come at Jesus with a question. Jesus turns around and he's like, you know, I got a better question for you. You know, oh, oh, you're after truth. What, you're asking a question? Oh, that's way over here. Let me go ahead and pull you right back. This is the strategy of Jesus Christ. Peter is stepping, he's really stepping into um, the, the same anointing that Jesus had. And then when you look at the question itself, the question is brilliant. Are we being interrogated for helping a crippled man? Do you realize the wisdom of that question? I mean, what is the Sanhedrin going to say back? Oh, yes, we, we are really upset that you helped that crippled guy. We are totally against helping those in need. You know, they can't answer the question. I mean, he, he, you know, it's like Peter's just took a, took a spike and he's just nailed a hole right in the bottom of the USS Sanhedrin. They're already leaking here. This boat is taking on water and Peter's just asked one question. So... If you were encouraged a minute ago, keep on getting encouraged, and I promise you, I will keep on getting excited, all right? So, anyway, Peter goes on. Since you guys brought up the question, since you were kind enough to ask, we'd be glad to tell you exactly how he was healed, okay? And by the way, this is the part of the testimonial where Peter really should change subjects, okay? It's great, Peter, that's great that you were bold out of the gate and you asked the wise question, but you know, we say Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, guys, Jesus is the reason why you're on trial and you're about to get strung up, okay? So this is where, this is, this is the part where you need to backpedal a little bit. You know, you can talk about the Lord if you want to, you can talk about God, but you know, you, representing Jesus is why you are on trial. So guys, you probably ought to back up, but instead of backpedaling, right? You know, taking his foot off the gas, Peter puts the pedal to the metal. <laughs> and he says, you want to know how this man was healed? It was Jesus, baby. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, healed him. You guys, and by the way, last week when Jesus talked about you crucified him to the crowd, that, 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 that crowd really did not crucify Jesus. They're a part of Israel, and some of them might have been chanting crucify him, but th they, they didn't do it. You know, they, they are not the direct ones. This time it is. When he says you crucified him, this council did crucify Jesus. So this, this is absolute confrontation. You crucified him, but God raised him back up. But he is the cornerstone. He is the only name under heaven by which we might be saved. And when, when he says saved, I mean, th th y'all, this is dessert. I'm telling you, this is dessert today. Well, even when he uses the word saved, you know, you know what word Peter uses for saved? Sozo. And sozo means being delivered from all spiritual and physical affliction. It's complete salvation in the highest term. It doesn't mean, hey, this guy, you know, gets rescued. He's going to get to heaven, but he's going to have to limp through life. It's Jesus totally sozoed this guy. He's completely new. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just... So, 
What's so cool though is that G Peter did exactly what he did in chapter three. He took the spotlight off himself. You know, the spotlight, where were you on the fifth and what did you do? He takes it, he just turns it right back on Jesus Christ. He turns the spotlight on Jesus and, uh, and, and what he's done is Peter's done two things here. One is he's gone evangelistic on them. Because he is preaching. He is telling this council how to be saved. He's telling them who is the one to call upon. He is clearly preaching. He is evangelizing. They think they're holding a trial, right? Well, Peter's holding a revival. See, there's a complete difference between the, between the two outcomes here. One's holding a trial. The other one's doing a revival. And I just think it's so cool that Peter even snuck in a little resurrection jab in there at him. So he even gets that in there. But what he's doing is he's challenging their, anique, their anemic belief system. Just this pitiful belief system without, without a Jesus Christ in it and with no Holy Spirit. And, and he's just preaching the gospel to them. And what I love even more about chapter four, if there were any more to love about it, is this. The whole time that Peter is preaching to them, he's not just talking, right? This isn't, you know, my fair lady, words, words, words. You know, this isn't just words. Peter is actually presenting them with physical evidence the whole time he is speaking. And I bet you know what the physical evidence is. Verse 10 tells us that the whole time Peter is speaking, someone else is in the room with him. Who's there? The cripple man who's not crippled anymore. So the whole time pre Peter's preaching about the power of God, here, here's the cripple guy leaning up against the wall like, you know, hey, you know, giving him the eyebrows and, you know, doing, you know, he's up there leading Zumba for the guys, you know. I mean, so, I mean, what do you do with that? So, so the, the guys, I know the beautiful Zumba moves too. I'm, I'm holding class at one o'clock if you can come. But so... So, so here's the thing, this guy's standing right in front of them. And so you can forget about the Sanhedrin boat leaking a little bit. Right now, water, they're up to their ears in water. They have a hull breach. They are about to drown. And so all they can do is just send Peter and John out of the room and try and somehow salvage this trial and, and, and crucify, scorch, you know, whatever they're going to do to these guys. But when they go out, they're sunk and they know they're sunk. Luke tells us what their deliberations are, what their conclusions are. You know, first of all, that they're astounded by the boldness of Peter and John. Like I said, the whole time, you know, Peter and John ought to be like, oh, you know, the whole time they just ought to, oh, pick me up, okay. You know, I mean, they ought to be out. They ought to be terrified. Jesus went down. Here we are in the same position. They're astounded by their boldness. These guys are as bold as lions. They're also astounded that these two guys are uneducated, you know, that they didn't have a formal Jewish rabbi. They haven't been to, you know, uh, uh, Israel, uh, you know, uh, evangelistic uh, seminary. These guys are unlearned, and yet they're articulating beautifully. Their flow of thought is just point after point. They know the Word of God. I mean, even the reference they drop on them, the, you know, the, the, the builders rejected became the cornerstone. I mean, this is fairly obscure Scripture. These guys know it like, man, no big deal. Oh, I do this all day long. I don't have to check the reference. Here it is. They're astounded by their, their, just how intelligently they are, how intelligent they are. It's obvious to them as well that these two men have been with Jesus. Why? Because they sound like Jesus they move like Jesus. Apparently, they pray and get the same results as Jesus. And so, so they conclude, you know, and again, you know, how do they deny that when the healed, healed guy's back there, you know, like this the whole time? But there, there's nothing the council can say back. They, 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 there's nothing they can do here. And they even conclude to themselves, you know, even, even if, 
Okay, let's see. E, okay, all that other stuff is against us. But, you know, even if we try to deny the miracle and we, we walk out of here and say, there was no man healed, we can't do it. Because everybody in Jerusalem knows the man was healed. So these guys are run up a tree. And the Sanhedrin has only one card left to play in verse 18, and it's the bully card, right? It's the only card there is. All they can do at this point is threaten and make demands, so they make a demand. Okay, well, let bygones be bygones. We, we then command you guys not to speak to anyone else any further in his name or in this name. And notice, they can't even say the name of Jesus, right? But they, they, they command them. And then Peter, obviously still very full of the Holy Spirit, this is a maneuver for the ages where he just appeals to them. And he says, okay, well, don't, don't speak to anyone further in his name. You know, you're an authority. Well, then I tell you what, you are a counsel. You're, you're versed well in the spiritual things. So just answer us one question before we go. You know, in, in response to that command, God has actually commanded us to do something different. So what do you say we do as a counsel of spiritual people? Do we obey the Lord or do we obey you? That's the same reaction that the, the Sanhedrin had, right? Crickets, crickets, I mean, nothing. And so Peter and, Peter and John, you know, it's, hey, God sent us out with this message. We're going to keep on speaking it. The story ends with a few more idle threats from the Sanhedrin, but they're defeated. They're defeated. They can't follow through on one threat. Why? Because they have a healed man. Everybody knows about it. Peter and John are spiritual rock stars on the outside. I mean, God has given them incredible favor. They're walking around like Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, even those not inside the church are like, man, those are a couple of great guys. And so, so the Sanhedrin knows, man, if we harm these guys, if we hinder these two guys, the, the crowds are going to have our hide. We're, we're going to have a riot. That's the kind of favor that Peter and John are walking in. And that's also what happens when the prayer or the ministry you bring to somebody raises them up after 40 years of being lame. This, this is just how it is. And so we see all this today, all this encouragement. And, you know, we say, man, that's so good for Peter and John. That's, oh, it's such a great story. And I'm so happy for the guys. I wish I could give them a pat on the back for hanging in there. And, but what about us? Well, here's the point for you and I. Going all the way back to the beginning, we said God opens doors, right? Sometimes those doors are fun doors, right? Yes, door number one, Monty, I'll take it, right? Sometimes, you know, the door is like, it, it, like we said, it's that really scary door. Here's what I want you to know. When God opens a door for you, it doesn't matter who is on the other side. It doesn't matter one bit, okay? Listen, they can be just happy and glad that you're there. Come on in, I got cake. They, 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 they could be, oh, I can't, I, what are you doing here? They can be happy or scary. They can be glad to see you. They can be dead set against you. They can be hungry for Christ. They can be hostile to Christ. You might skip across the threshold. You might get marched across the threshold. But when God opens a door for you, okay? He is always on the other side. The God who made you, the Son who saved you, the Spirit who filled you and empowered you is going to equip you, empower you, enable you in that moment and for that assignment. And it's settled, okay? 
God will be glorified. Jesus Christ will be exalted. And I'm telling you this, there will be a God-sized impact in the earth because you dared to step through with God into that place. That is true for those who have a Peter and John moment and they're released. You know, they're completely released and they're back on the street. That's, that's true for the martyrs that we've known of. You know, I was reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer the other day. Does anybody know when Dietrich Bonhoeffer died? Anybody? He was like 40, 45, 47, it's right at the end of the war. Anyway, okay, so 40s, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer died. That's like, what, 80 years ago? I'm still reading his books today and having my life changed. Why? Because he stepped through the door. Because he dared to say yes to God. And, and so, guys, I want you to know this. As we venture out into fields that are white with harvest, as we seek to make Jesus known to people that we don't know yet and don't know God yet, there is nothing to fear. There is nothing to fret about, okay? I, I want you to know this. We are in, in the hands and in the will of God and being led by the Spirit of God. As we say yes and we step out into a, a Spirit-filled, directed mission, you know what we are? Is anybody like cats in the room? Please, do. I gotta have some cat lovers. We're as safe as kittens. You are as safe as a kitten within the will of God no matter what the situation is. You are, and I'll tell you this, outside of the will of God, you're never safe. I don't care if nobody's after you. It is dangerous to be outside of the will of God. Not only that, it's really boring to be outside of the will of God. You know, you, you, you ever discover that as a Christian? Oh man, I'm just so bored in my faith. Well, I bet you we can figure out why. But listen, within the will of God, it is adventure. And we are as safe as kittens. All we have to do as the church of Jesus Christ is get still, know him, be led, and be faithful. Because we already know he is faithful. And I'll tell you this, his faithfulness always, it'll always carry the day for the church of Jesus Christ. So... As you hear all this stuff about vision and making Jesus Christ known, oh, I hope you get excited. I, 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 you know, where do we go next? Oh, that's the fun part, but I'm telling you, it is a delight. And we see this in Acts 3 where everything's wonderful and easy and it's just bubble gum and lollipops and, you know, and Acts chapter 4 where it's really scary. It doesn't matter whether it's a storm or it's a calm day. These guys have got it and they do change the world in Jesus' name. How's that for good news?